And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Aluta Continua here on CKCU 93.1. And as Chris mentioned, we are streaming live this morning from Black Squirrel Books on Bank Street in Old Ottawa South. And again, I'm going to reintroduce my guest, who is a poet, filmmaker, and policy analyst, Nathan Haunch, who is a short filmmaker and artist living in Ottawa, and his screen, his screening, <laughs> sorry, it's a, there's a little bit of kickback right now with the, or feedback with the headphones, but... Um, basically, his film will be screening tomorrow at the Ottawa Canadian Film Festival. Welcome to the program, Nathan. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Uh, Nathan, you took part in Saw Video Spark Lab for artists with disabilities. I think it was maybe a year or two ago, and that was funded in part by the Ontario Arts Council. What was that experience like? Um, it was actually a really tremendous experience. I had the immense privilege of working with a mentor named Isabel Barthes. She's a local filmmaker here in Ottawa as well. And uh, she taught me a tremendous amount, everything from sound to coloring for film, sequencing, all of those really, really key steps. Um, but I think something that was also really important was working with other artists with disabilities and hearing their frames on their experiences, how they see the world as people with disabilities. And I think that's a perspective we don't see enough, and uh, it was really, really lovely to be a part of that. And in terms of what that perspective can bring to someone's work, especially in an experience like Spark Lab, where you're working with other artists with disabilities, what do you think that brings to the work? How does that change the work in terms of what you make and how you see the world? Well, it's interesting because I've worked in film before, I've, I've worked in poetry before, I've done all of those things, um, but I had never really explored the concept of my experience of disability until that particular moment. And I think um, the reason that happened is because it was a tailored program for that, so it's really, really important. And. Um, it was at that point that I said, is there any story that I want to tell from a disability lens that I think would be important? And uh, that's what I decided to do. So my short film is called The Art of the Morning, and it is basically about my routine of getting up in the morning. And the impetus for that was I met somebody who told myself and another person with a disability, it must be so hard to get ready in the morning, I can't imagine how difficult that must be, on and on. And I just tried to say, I take more time, it's just different. And she wasn't really hearing that, so I wanted to show, make a film about the joy of taking time, which I wouldn't do if I didn't have a disability. So I wanted to offer that alternative perspective. So what are the differences for you in the morning? You say you take more time, mm -hmm. but that it's not necessarily quote-unquote difficult, it's just different. So That's how right. is it different? Well, uh, the first thing I do when I wake up is my muscles are quite sore, so I have to languish for a very luxurious extra half an hour and uh, just sort of slowly wake up. And that gives me a chance to mentally organize my day, uh, decide how I'm going to make the most of it. Uh, from there, I take a bath and I put in essential oils like candles, and basically a mini spa every morning, uh, which is really nice and really lovely. And um, if I didn't have a disability, I'd be doing what most people do, is waiting to the very last minute, jumping into the shower, feeling very harried and hurried and all of those things. So because I have to take more time, uh, I get a luxurious morning. And I think that's an interesting way to look at it in terms of the fact that it, it's just different. And in many ways, it sounds like a really amazing morning. It sounds like a great way to start the day. Mm -hmm. It is, for sure.
In 2014, you made a film with Amen Jaffrey, City That Forgot the Fun, and that was exploring Ottawa's reputation as a dull government town. But beyond the potential dullness of Ottawa, is Ottawa also an inclusive city? Is Ottawa also a... An inclusive city. Inclusive city. I mean, because a lot of times we do talk about, is Ottawa a fun city? What's it like to live in Ottawa? There's a lot of things about Ottawa that we typically talk about. But in particular, I think being an inclusive city is a very important part of whether or not Ottawa is an exciting city. Is it, a, is it an exciting city for everyone? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I, I, I think it's um, important to remember that every environment has diversity within it. The question is, is there openness to that diversity? And I think even the most inclusive spaces that you might find, like Toronto and Montreal and the big cities, and that people of a number of diverse backgrounds often gravitate towards, also have um, their work to do to break down barriers and make sure that there's space for every single person there. Uh, when we did a City That Fun Forgot, it was very interesting because when we were exploring the concept of dullness, in my mind, I was always asking the question of, where that sort of excitement, those different variety of voices and things like that. And when we did the film, we realized that Ottawa does have it. It's just not as accessible and out there as much. And so the question from there came, how do we sort of fly our own flag a bit more and let people know about that diversity that's been there all the while, but uh, needs to be brought out more? And in terms of the art scene, because we were, t were talking about being inclusive in general, but specifically in the art scene, for you as an artist, do you find that this is an inclusive space, not just for artists in general, but also for artists with disabilities? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I often like to remind people is that um, disability is such a multivaried experience. So the, the perspective that I bring to it is I'm hard of hearing and I also have cerebral palsy. So I've got effectively two sets of barriers in any particular art scene to consider. The first one is, is the actual venue physically accessible? And the second one is, are the acoustics appropriate? Will I be able to hear and to read? So when I've gone to poetry readings, for example, I've often asked artists who are reading, can I also read some of your poems as they're reading them so that I can participate that way? And most people are very receptive and very inclusive, but I always think there's a bit more work to be done to making sure that we're thinking about it front of mind. And I know that um, there's some work being done right now in terms of making a master list of accessible venues that people can go to on the physical side. And so it's really about taking that lens and, and making it happen. One of the things that I often do is I take a mental note and I say, by different types of disabilities, what barriers are there to a particular venue, location, even time? Uh, something that very early or very late is going to be difficult for people with disabilities to participate in because we take more time to get up and sometimes they have to go to bed earlier. So are we creating a time and a location that's accessible to the widest scope of people possible? So you've just given us a whole host of things to think about. But are, in terms of, let's say there's someone who's setting up some events in the future. Yeah. Beyond just a couple of things that you threw out there, are there specific things that they should think about? Is there, are there resources that they should be accessing to let them know how do I make this event 
or this program more accessible? Yeah, I, I think the number one thing that people can do is reach out to other people with disabilities that they know and say, understanding that you can't speak to everything, is there something differently that we can do uh, to this particular event? Um, one of the things that I've often re reminded people is it's not that uh, people with disabilities don't go to events. It's that they often won't take the chance to arrive and then find that it's not inclusive, so they oftentimes won't even try it out, which is um, all too sad in that way. So reach out to the people you know. Um, just always try to wear that accessibility lens. And, you know, I always remind people, you always start somewhere. I'm always constantly learning about new ways to break down barriers that I hadn't thought of, and it's really just about sharing our knowledge and our connections. Well, I, I should mention that when we were setting up this interview today through Jeff Paul, one of the first things he asked me about the interview today was, he said, is it accessible? Yeah. And I, it, it, it made me take a step back and think. And then, of course, I said, oh, of course it's accessible. That was my first reaction. And then you and I spoke. And then I thought, I better call Black Squirrel Books just to make sure. Yeah. And they were wonderful here and gave me all the, the details that I needed, hence why we're here this morning. But I think that it did give me a moment to stop and think about my own assumptions about what accessibility means and also what it looks like. For sure. And, you know, I, I always remind myself that it's, and other people, that it's not just about accessibility from a disability perspective. It's also diversity and things like that that we want to consider on a broader spectrum. Um, you know, I'm also someone who's gay, and I always want to make sure if I was going to an event or putting on an event, is it a place where queer people would feel comfortable? And, you know, those are the types of things that are not hard and fast sciences, but we just always um, look for that uh, sort of implicit spirit of generosity and openness and making sure that we're doing what we can to foster that. So. Those are the types of things I also like to think about as well. You've just brought up a whole host of things that I also want to dig into in terms of intersectionality, but I just want to take a moment to remind our listeners that we are during our we are right now during our fundraising time, and I'd like to remind people to dial and donate at 613-520-3920. And I'd also like to give two shout-outs to Jared and Josu for calling in and making a donation. It's greatly appreciated. It's because of listeners like these that we're able to do these sorts of programs. So please dial and donate. It's greatly appreciated. Once again, the number is 613-520-3920. And if you're just joining me, you're listening to Aluta Continua. And my guest this morning is Nathan Hauk. Oh, I, you know what? It's funny. I... I <laughs> I was just looking at your name because I have, have it written down here, and I thought, maybe I pronounced it wrong the first time. Again, the pronunciation of the name is? Uh, Hauk. So Hauk. It's, a, it's a German name, oh. so that's why. So, uh, I'm used to everything from Hooch to Houch and all these things, but Hauk is the way, but as long as people can understand it, that's what counts. Okay, so it seems like I'm making a massacre of names today because I just mentioned Josu who uh, made a donation, but it's Jason. I'm going to blame it on someone's writing, but it's probably just my eyesight. <laughs> Time for some glasses. So back to you, Nathan. You mentioned a whole host of things that really intersect to make someone's experience very specific. Can you speak a little bit about intersectionality and maybe give a definition of intersectionality. It's a word that's been tossed around quite a bit lately, mm -hmm. but I'm not quite sure 
that we're all working with the same definition. And I, I feel that in a conversation like this, it's, it's important that we know what we're talking about when we say intersectionality. Um, sure. So I, I think it's helpful to sort of think about where the term intersectionality comes into being. So you have the rise of various civil rights movements. Uh, you have it for racialized communities. You have it for women. You have it for a wide, wide range of people, uh, immigrants and so forth. And you get the rise of certain identities that come as the result of that. And people would say, you know, as a gay person or as a person with a disability, here's a certain perspective that I think needs to be told. But at the same time, human beings are gloriously complex and don't fit into boxes, thank God. And intersectionality says we all have different facets of our particular identity that come together to make us who we are. So when I say I'm a person with a disability, there's also other factors that I need to consider as a person who, who's gay and various things like that. And um, as an artist, am I doing what I can to bring a particular voice or picture forward? Now, in terms of your day job yes. and your artwork, yep. how do you manage to balance it all? Because you're also telling us that you've got this elaborate, wonderful morning routine mm -hmm. and that there are some considerations that you need to think about as you move through this life. How do you manage to do so much? Because you're a poet, you're a filmmaker, you've got a day job. Uh, well, uh, I think the uh, number one thing that I would have to absolutely acknowledge uh, is my partner, Stefan, uh, helps a lot in that regard. And uh, we had a bit of a moment of amusement because when I made the film, the film was about just my routine in the morning and I'm making the coffee and so forth. And he said, but, but wait a minute. I make her coffee, why am I not in the film? And I said, yeah, but I don't really have enough time in the space of five minutes to get into it. And, you know, if you're in the film, people are going to wonder who's that guy, and that's going to detract from the narrative. So I said, well, we'll call it a narrative documentary. And he says, you can't do that. That's very Trumpy. And I said, okay, fine. We'll just call it a fictitious short film that hopefully makes the point. But, yeah, I have, uh, I have a lot of support in my life that makes that possible. And I think it's also... Uh, important to make space for the things that make you feel as full spiritually as you can be. So I love my job and I love analyzing policies and helping people access information and services and all that type of stuff. But it doesn't meet every single need that I have. And so my creative life is the life that I reserve for after five o'clock and for weekends. And, uh, I think it requires a certain sort of discipline. Like, I've been trying to, not very successfully, but trying to make sure that I push out one poem a week. And, you know, something like that says, okay, you know, on Saturday at 5 o'clock, I'm going to go to chapters, and I'm going to sit down for an hour and a half and try to turn out a draft. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least we try. So now, in terms of the short film that will be screening tomorrow, can you tell us a little bit about how you went about making the film? Because you were mentioning that you did have some help. So was it just the two of you that were filming, you and your partner? Um, no. So uh, it was a whole wide range of people. And um, right after I finished making the final edits to the film, I turned to uh, my mentor, Isabel, and I said, that was a ridiculous amount of work. And I had spent essentially months putting together what I hoped were of uh, good, high-quality five minutes to make the film. So I had my, my friend uh, and mentor, Isabel, um, showing me various things and 
factors to consider. I had uh, Audrey's sister, who is a friend of mine, who helped with the camera lighting along with Eric Greer. And then my friend Eamon, who I made the initial documentary with, I said to her, I said, you know, you have a really nice condo with a lot of natural light. It's a perfect condo to make a film in. And I said, that, that would be great. Again, um, it's not an actual documentary. I don't even live there. But uh, I was able to use her condo for that. And uh, my partner was just really helpful, especially when it came to the editing piece. We had done the first shoot, and then uh, he looked towards the end, and he said, Nathan, I don't think you want to use that last shot. He said, you're coming across as inspirational and not in the way that you want. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. So I shot Isabella an email, and I said, I'm so sorry, but can we reshoot that last thing next weekend? And so I had to get the exact same clothes I wore and uh, reshoot that entire scene and uh, hopefully that's the scene that made the difference. It's really interesting that a short film sometimes can take almost just as much effort and time as a, a feature-length film in the sense that, yes, it's shorter, so you're spending less time and you're probably shooting less footage, but in terms of the effort that you have to put in in terms of the preparation and all the pieces that need to be in, in place, it's very, very, very much similar in terms of the uh, workload. I, I think it has to do with how you anticipate the audience is going to receive the format. So normally if somebody's watching a short film, you have what I call a sort of hyper-focus. People know that you're going to be watching it for five, ten minutes and so forth, so you're going to have a, you know, a particular focus to uh, each particular second within a minute, versus if you're watching a longer film, you might uh, not be as focused to every particular detail. So it does require that particular uh, effort and so forth. So Nathan, obviously, I wanted you here this morning because of what's happening this weekend at Arts Court. You're part of the Ottawa Canadian Film Festival, and the Art of the Morning is screening there tomorrow. But you've also made quite a few other films. I got a chance to check out your website, and this is far from your first film. Well, that's more my second one, but yes, I did the documentary, and I have a film concept that I'm working on right now, which will hopefully be the third, and that film, if I can pull it together, will be looking at uh, how people who identify themselves as progressive are keeping themselves motivated in a time when Donald Trump is president and upending their entire world viewpoint. Well, not their worldview, but essentially the norms by which we operate by. So I, the working title right now is Recharge, and just looking at how they get re-motivated to keep going. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully it'll be ready in about a year. So you really don't take on light topics. You had the, the film about the city of Ottawa, which is a city that forgot the fun, and now you well, have... the city that fun forgot. Oh, the city that fun forgot. Yes. And... Now you've got this uh, film, The Art of the Morning, and you've got your up your next upcoming film. But you but you also worked on Spark Lab. What was the piece that came out of out of Spark Lab? Uh, that was the Art of the Morning itself. Oh, that was the Art of the Morning. Yes, yes, oh. yes. So that's how that went. That's actually oh, that's wonderful. Yes. I, I used to be a board member, so I'm no longer a board member. But that's really wonderful to yeah. hear that that's yeah. what came out of Spark so, Lab. I mean, there's a, a lot of great initiatives that are deserving of support. I think KCU is one of them. Also, uh, saw a video. They're doing tremendous work. Uh, and you know, I always remind people: if you have a story to tell and you think it would be good for film, and you're not sure where to start, saw video is definitely a great place to get your feet wet. 
Nathan, thank you very much. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we end off this morning? Yeah, please uh, visit OCAN Film Fest uh, on, online and uh, see the Ottawa International Film Festival. Uh, I hope to see many of you guys out there tomorrow. We start at uh, 2 p.m., so please come out for what is going to be a wonderful day of some fantastic uh, filmmakers made by independent filmmakers. And you're going to be at the top of the list. I believe your film is screening at two. I'm uh, very excited about that and also very humbled. So, uh, yeah, The Art of the Morning will open the film festival tomorrow at 2 p.m. Nathan, I'm going to take a, a stab at your last name again. Nathan House? Hauk, yeah. So I've got it right. Nathan House is a policy analyst and artist living in Ottawa. His short film, The Art of the Morning, screens tomorrow at Arts Court as part of the Ottawa Canadian Film Festival. You can Google that and find out the film festival's full schedule. Would also like to remind you that CKCU is a listener-supported campus radio station. We are celebrating 43 years of broadcasting on November 15th, and we are right now in the midst of our 2018 funding drive, and our goal is 135000 to keep the station running 24-7, 365 days a year. Please dial and donate. No amount is too small to help us reach our goal. We are community-based, and we appreciate all of our support. I'd like to thank Gene and Jason, who donated money today. Greatly appreciated. If you'd like to donate, you can call us at 613-520-3920, or you can donate online. Our web. Continua. Unfortunately, I'm not in the studio, so I can't see what's going on. But uh, whoever's in the studio, back to you. Have a great weekend.